0: This is Jimmy Bullard, a.k.a. The Bulldog, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name is J-Mac, your host, reporting from my country estate after a jolly good shoot today, hunting stag and partridge, sitting on my Chesterfield sofa, dipping my virgin olive oil breadstick in some venison pate. Meanwhile, it's tiger stew on the menu for good old Fulham. First three points from Hull since 1996. Not the prettiest, but the job has been done. The lineup, the players, the goal, and the certain injury, which hopefully won't derail our promotion push too badly, because folks, the gap is closing. We are here to talk about it. With me, the Prince of Stats himself, Master Stato, and the other bloke is a man who needs no introduction, but nonetheless, it's only the Walter White, the Tony Soprano, the Basil Forty of the entire Fulham Focus family. It's Danny Boy with you after this. Fulham. Right. Right. Three points. In all honesty, I didn't expect that. I thought this had draw written all over it. It seems like it's a Parker in week this week. But let's start from the very beginning, a very good place to start. Danny Boy, mate, anything that stood out to you from the lineup?
0: Yeah, how are you doing, Jay Matt? You all right? I'm good, mate. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, yeah, same. Good stuff. Yeah, I suppose the, the two obvious uh, changes were Brian was left on the bench again, Adoya played at left back. And K-Mac came back in, which I think has come out of nowhere. He obviously hasn't played a lot of football recently. That clearly states that Harry Arta wasn't fully fit. Mm. And I think it was tactical. It, you know, Hull was obviously a, a difficult place to go. They did the double over Sheffield Wednesday, double over Forest. They drew away with Brentford earlier in the season. And of course, they beat us 3-0. So they're not mugs. And it was a it was a vital game. If we had lost that one, you know, we'd, we'd be talking uh, a completely different game for Parker now. They were only three points behind us. So I think he went with K-Mac shielding the back four to keep it tighter at the back. Uh, and I think the aim was always to uh, have little shots on target, both ends of the pitch, just to be a bit more resilient. And the Doye coming in at left back uh, gave us more pace, more height. and. That's why there was a, a lack of crosses coming in either side of the thanks because we had Hector supporting Christie and we had Adoy supporting Ream. I, I, I was quite happy with the lineup.
1: What about you, Stato? I mean, I I, I completely agree with what Danny said there. I mean, Joe Bryan bench, do, do you think that worked for us tactically? I mean, a seemed to keep Jared Bowen at bay a little bit.
2: Um, yeah, hello, first of all, hello, um, hello, hello mate, hello, um. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of what Danny said, um, I'd like to echo. You know, Joe Bryan, throughout the season, we've kind of seen going forward. Yeah, he's great. But at the back, he is a bit susceptible to, you know, a attack from the from the opposition side. So, you know, when we're playing away to a team like Hull, who are floating around the playoffs, they're quite a physical side. I think bringing in a door was a pretty good move. As an expense it made our defense a bit more compact it wasn't as attacking as we'd like it but that was fine you know because you know in a away game like this we're gonna need a type of, that type of defense to soak up the pressure and I think that's also why you know like, like Danny said that's why we brought in a player like McDonald who hasn't started many games for that this year but he was kind of almost the perfect player to have in a game like this um the only other thing from the starting lineup that was a bit shocking is um the exclusion of Kearney he was on the bench but he didn't even come on i guess maybe he just needed a rest or something um has been a lot of games in the last few weeks so you know it's good to see that he isn't injured he isn't just mugging off away games he's just he's just there he just needs a rest and ultimately we didn't need him but other than that it was it was a pretty solid lineup
0: uh, i just want to touch on what what stato said there about kearney yeah go um ahead. Well, he's missed quite a few of the recent away games. Uh, and again, I think it was, it was tactical not to play him. I don't think he's got the legs to play in midfield uh, if you're playing on the counter-attack, which is what we were doing uh, quite a lot of the time. And if you're sitting back, soaking up pressure, and then you know trying to catch people on the break, you need legs in midfield. And although he's not the greatest of players, Josh Onomar, I think, plays because he's got more energy. Uh, and, and a bit more pace about him than all the other players have, so that for me that is the main reason Kenny doesn't play is because I don't think he's got the energy to to run around the pitch in a in an away game.
1: Yeah, I thought Josh Unumot was very good actually. I noticed in this game he was almost like it was almost like a double number ten role going on for him and for Bobby Ree going forward with McDonald shielding them, which we mentioned earlier. Um, do you think Joe Bryan on the bench now could be his destiny, Stato, I mean, do you think this could be him trying to evolve back as a winger like he was with Bristol City all those years ago, or something that we only use him for when we go three at the back, or just purely tactical?
2: Um, I I don't think it's a permanent thing for him. Um, The thing with football is football isn't a a static sort of thing, like one starting 11 doesn't mean that's going to be our permanent starting 11 going forward. I think for the whole game, it's purely a tactical thing. Going forward, you know, if now we've got Hector coming in, we could play a back five, and Brian playing as a wing back role. Um, we saw in the last, well, this game and the FA Cup game that he was playing as more of a winger, more of a midfield role. Maybe that's what Scott sees him more as, because you know we were leaking a lot of goals down the right hand side, and maybe that's an area he's looking to address by kind of moving Brian further forward. And paying him and kind of not giving him as many defensive responsibilities, and yeah, to be fair to Adoy, he's been really good. I mean, up until that Preston red card, he was actually having a pretty solid game at left back, and I think he played in left back the game before that as well. And you know, the th- thing of Adoy is, we need to remember that he he's always been a very solid Championship fullback. Um, it was only when we got to the Premier League and he was forced to play a centre back that people started to you know not rate him as much, but. You know, in my opinion, he's always just been a solid championship level player in fullback or occasionally a centre back.
1: Yeah, and I you know, I always forget that actually Dennis Adoy's original position that we bought him for was left back. We've always seen him on the right um recently and obviously as a centre back, but I just always forget it's actually left back, which is his primary position that we bought him for um all those seasons ago. But lastly with the lineup, Danny, did you notice well I think we all noticed that Marcus Bettinelli nowhere to be seen? I think it was Magnus Norman there instead. Is that the alarm bells then for his departure, do you think?
0: Yeah, obviously the rumours have been there for a few weeks now and our results have, have clearly picked up. I mean, you you remember to the start of the season, although Bettinelli wasn't having to do an awful lot, he wasn't saving anything. And every week you, can, you name an, a couple of vital saves that Rodak makes and that for me is the complete difference between the two. Rodak's a match winner. I think Bettenelli's at a stage of his career where he's he's played second fiddle to David Button and to Karali uh, and, and a number of other goalkeepers. He's he's never quite held down the number one role, even when he's been given chances. So, what is he, 28, 27, 28? I think it's probably time for him to move on. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, and I could hardly blame him. You know, at his age, he needs to be playing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like it could potentially be uh, Middlesbrough, the team we're facing on Friday, that you could be going to, if it's true that West Ham are going to be buying Darren Randolph off of them. But we'll see. Um, you know, talking of goalkeepers, you can sometimes only be as good as the defence in front of you. I just want to go to you, Stato, with the centre-back situation. I mean, Michael Hector looked good this game. Um, I thought maybe slightly off the pace here and there. I just want to get your opinion. Um, who do you think... After seeing both Reem and Mawson with Hector, who do you think is the most long-term outcome for standing next to Michael Hector?
2: It's funny, isn't it? Um, I think at the start of the season, we were looking at Bettinelli and goal, Stephen Sessett right back, and then Ream, Mawson, by And we're now halfway through, and then suddenly that all but one player has definitely has suddenly changed to what our best defense is you know we have Rodak and go who is definitely our number one Christie's kind of uh solidifying right back with each game that goes by um or do at left back obviously and now Hector's come in and he's only played two games but um he's kind of given off that kind of confidence that we we've needed in defense um and when we look at defences in general, so you look at the good defences over the years for various teams, uh, Liverpool, for example, there's, all, um, there's always like a an alpha centre-back. So in Liverpool's case, is Van Dijk. Um, if we want to do a Fulham-related example, we look at Hangeland and Hughes. Hangeland was kind of always the alpha centre-back. Hughes, you know, always the one next to him. And I think we've kind of lacked that since the Hangeland-Hughes era, like just a big kind of alpha centre-back who can command the defence, can command the goalkeeper and the midfield. Um, and I've seen Hexer come in and he's kind of looking like that player that we've needed Um, there was a moment when um, Hull kind of got a ball into the box and it kind of did a bit of pinball and got it out the first thing Hex did he turned around he shouted at Roldak saying he should have come off his line quicker shouted at the defence and just kind of got them got them in order and you know that's great to see that's what we want to see and in terms of who would play next to him I think long term going forward Mawson is probably the answer Um, Mawson you know, he was actually quite a good defender at Swansea and that could have been because, you know, he was kind of more of the, the secondary centre-back almost. And if he has a good big command and defender like, like Hector next to him, you know, Mawson could potentially flourish. And yeah, I think going forward, nice to have Ream as well because Ream's also quite a solid centre-back at this level.
0: Yeah, I like to come on that, on, on Hector. I mean, I don't really have the answer for who he should partner, but I've got to say it's refreshing to have someone with the height and the speed at the back and I think they are the two things that are the most alarming about the partnership between Ream and Mawson and there was one example, I think his name's Grisicki, the winger for, for Hull uh, and he was, he was driving down at the flank and Christie was out of position and he was one-on-one one with Hector and Hector was trying to show him down the outside and normally he would take him on because uh, I think that's, that's a, a big part of Hull's game is, is getting to the byline and crossing it. And instead, he opted to cut inside. And it made Hector look a bit clumsy because he beat him in, inside and got the shot away. But that, for me, is a big example uh, of, of the, the advantage we've got playing Hector there. If that had been Mawson or Ream, they would have taken him on for pace. And then they would have been in behind. But instead, he opted to cut inside into the crowd and, and take a, a pot shot. So f- for me, I, I think it's going to stop the the amount of times teams get in behind us, having Hector at the back.
1: Well, you know, two appearances and two wins. I mean, hopefully that continues. I mean, hopefully he'll actually be the, the man that we all want him to be. Now, let's talk about the one shot on target we had in this game, which was the only goal on the 29th minute. And it was Cavalero's goal, which is fantastic. It's another worldie from Cavalero's stats. Talk me through it.
2: I mean, it's it's just common practice for Cavalero now, isn't it? You see him out on the left. If a defender gives him like a yard of space for him to cut in on his right, you can just expect a shot to go top bins in the far right. And that's exactly what happened. Um, the build-up to the goal is pretty good. I've noticed um, Ream pumping a ball forward. It's quite refreshing to see him do a long ball rather than just a little passing around. Um there was a bit of ping-pong went to knock Um in classic knock fashion, he tried to take it on, didn't pass it. Unfortunately he came out to Cavallero. And then he just cut in. You look at the replays and the way it dipped, the way it swerved, it was just a quality finish.
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely. And yeah, you notice Knockart, you know, still trying to do it all in the build up to that goal and it ricocheting back to him. I mean, without knock essentially messing up, we wouldn't have had that goal, but it was still wonderful in the eye. Danny, I want to go to you with this question. Was this a bad game of football to watch? Because I can't really tell. I'm pretty sure it was. I mean, the weather conditions weren't the best. I mean, Hull were about as toothless as we were, don't you think?
0: I mean, it wasn't the greatest, i got to be honest. But to be honest with you, for me, there's there's been a little bit of negativity uh, I've seen towards the way Fulham played. And, and maybe they should have seen the game off quicker, uh, had more shots on target, et cetera, et cetera. But... Like I said at the beginning, uh, Hull, you know, they did a double over Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday has just beaten Leeds away. They did a double over Forest. You know, they didn't lose when they played Brentford away. They battered us 3-0. They are no mugs. And for me, as the home team, it was it was their responsibility to, to take the game to us. Uh, and they just didn't turn up. So Fulham managed the game in a way that they should have managed plenty of other games in the past. I mean, if we had played like that against Barnsley away, we probably would have won that one 1-0. So there's a lot of naive cracks that are starting to disappear from our game. Parker's slowly getting an idea of what his best 11 is. Uh, Obviously, injuries haven't helped. And and this is all coming from someone who isn't a Parker fan. So, but, you know, I, I think we... We, we can't keep on looking at, um, at the bad side. You know, I, I don't really care that we didn't play well in this game. In, in some ways, I think you know, with the weather being bad, you know, Hull's quite a grim place to go. There's many occasions in the past that we wouldn't have turned up and we would have got rolled over. It's not that long ago we lost 6-0 to Hull in the Premier League. So to go there and, and, and grind out a result, I, I think, is the bread and butter of what makes a top two side. You, know, you can't batter everybody. So I was content with it being a rubbish game. You know, The important thing was the points.
1: I agree. And it was good to see us be a lot more pragmatic. I mean, McDonald was a good example of that. You know, Like we mentioned earlier, played as the classic CDM, went back as almost a centre-back position at times. But he made these lovely long balls that the wingers would collect on either side. And it just... He was honestly like uh, the old McDonald in that role, and it made us a lot more careful. I've got to say, you mentioned Danny. You know, we haven't had the best time of injuries. Stato, I'll go to you with this. There's there's one fucking injury that is really, really unfortunate in this game. Can you please talk to me about it?
2: You sound a bit emotional there. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: um. So yeah, obviously, uh, our boy Micho did go down injured. And it did look a bit bad. He went off on a stretcher. I haven't heard anything about how bad it is. I don't think anybody has. We're all kind of waiting to see if it's long-term, if it's not long-term, if it is long-term, how long-term it is. Um, and yeah, it could potentially be a massive loss for us. However, I don't think it will necessarily be the end of the world. Um, I think there's still enough firepower between Cavalero, between knockout uh Kearney, Bobby Reid, Kamara, even Cabano, that we're not we're not we're not going to be screwed over I don't
1: think. Well this is the million dollar question now really and I don't want this to be, I mean it was quite it wasn't the prettiest game so I don't want to make Mitrovic the big topic but Danny you know if it's an ankle twist that means Mitro's out for about 3 to 4 weeks but if there's any ligament damage it could be months or maybe even the entire season but that would be really really unfortunate. I mean it's not looking good. What would you say to this? Would you say that we are fine with AK-47, who apparently is still injured for some reason at the moment, or Bobby Reed playing as a forward, or now it's January, we need to actually get our heads together and get a centre-forward in now as, you know,
0: insurance? Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, please. He's having a laugh, isn't he? No, I won't swear, just in case. <laughs> just in case Will's <laughs> listening. <All laughs> right. he's, he, he, he's our stats man, is he?
2: Well, yes, and we yeah we, we can't underestimate how big of a loss he is. He, he's the top scorer. He's Mitrovic, but you know we can't we can't be a team that relies on one player.
0: No, I, I'd agree with that. We can't be a team that relies on one player. But I think every successful championship team does rely on one striker and and a goal scorer. And my issue is not that. Um, Mitrovic is the all round perfect player. It's that he puts the ball in the back of the net and it's that presence that he has up front. You know, Cavalero, yeah, once again, scored a worldie, but he never scores goals from the inside the box, you know, or like tappings. Knockout uh, doesn't know where the goal is. but Bobby reads too lightweight to be the out and out striker. And Kamara's too hit and miss. I, I, I really worry. I, I don't think there's anybody. I mean, who's our second highest goal scorer at the moment? Does anyone know? Is it Kenny?
2: Um, I should probably know this. Um my probably guess Kenny th-
0: or Cavalero.
2: That
1: would be my guess, yeah. It must be Cavalero, I think.
0: I mean, and, they, and they're nowhere near double figures. They've got to be on about six each. So, for me, it's it's not necessarily about he's our best player. It's more who on earth is going to score the goals through the middle. And for me, none of them are natural goal scorers. Um, it, I think the, the start of the play has to change regardless and, and I know I'm open to signing a completely different type of striker I'm not saying it has to be a like for like for Mitrovic but it needs to be someone that scores goals and, and knows where the back of the net is because that's something you can't teach yeah I, I just I think Kamara could do a job now and then but we need to see how long term this this injury is I, th- I think a lot will unfold in the next week or so as we find out how bad it is. Uh, if it's bad, we will sign a replacement. We have to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I don't think Bobby Decadova is naturally a centre forward. He's a second striker, number 10 sort of player. So I feel like we do need a proper centre forward who can find the back of the net. Because like you said, I don't feel like he has that killer instinct up front. Stato, do you want to add, add anything to that, mate?
2: Um, I mean... We have had one game without Mitrovic and that was the QPR game where obviously Kamara came in. He did a very good job. He scored two goals. Um, And obviously, if he can keep up that type of form and he can be consistent with that, then yeah, we're going to be fine. But that's a big question mark around Kamara because he's always been consistently inconsistent. But, you know, people were saying this year that he has time to corner. He's more of a squad player obviously he is injured. Um, and the argument is
1: it. and the argument is mate is that you know he scored a brace when Mitrovic had that uh second that yellow card that had him suspended against QPR. So we I mean I mean when he, when the opportunity arises it does seem that AK47 can take them but it just I just don't trust it to be as consistent as that. Danny I mean I've got a list. I mean do you have any ideas of people that we could get in uh to replace Mitrovic if it is quite a hefty time away that we're dealing with here.
0: Uh, who's available? I mean you put me on the spot there. Uh, I think. <laughs> Sorry, mate. that's right. Billy Sharp's always been someone that scores goals at his level. I mean, he's he's quite limited in how much he can affect the build-up play. Uh, so it would be a complete contrast to what we do with Mitrovic. But he, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was the first player to reach like 250 or 300 goals at lower league level. So he knows where the, where the back of the net is and, and he's been told by Sheffield United that he's not needed anymore. They've obviously held on to him for half a season just in case it didn't work out for them in the Premier League because, of course, if they had gone back down, he's the ideal man to keep. They're obviously going to you know stay up this season uh, and, and I think they need to evolve now. And He's a championship player, probably a mid-table championship player, but as an emergency... I think we could do a lot worse on loan. Glenn Murray's another one from Brighton. Um, I'm not a, a massive fan of him, if I'm being honest. But again, yeah, he's the one that that Mitrovic is chasing the 30 goal record off of. So maybe nobody that knows that knows where the, the back of the net more than he does at this level. Um, other than that, I mean, it's, it's scraps. You, you might you might uh, find a gem out there. Dwight Gale was always linked, but I heard that he got injured the other day as well. Same day as Mitrovic. Uh, What about you? Uh, Any ideas?
1: Yeah, I mean, the sort of players I had in mind were, you know, Matic Vidra or Vidra from Burnley, who scored 21 goals for derby a couple of seasons ago. Or you've got Andre Gray, who I would take in a heartbeat from Watford. I mean, I think he could do a real good job as a centre forward.
0: I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because that was brought up in the the WhatsApp group the other day. I think that's a really good shot. That that's definitely the best option I've heard, uh Andre Gray. He would compliment Mitrovic as a partner, but he could also give us a different dimension for, for games when Mitrovic isn't available. I would actually sign him on a permanent deal because if we don't go up, then he's ideal for next season anyway. Uh, and if we do, I think Mitrovic, Gray, and and one other would be ideal as a strike force for a newly promoted team. Vidra, I'm I'm not that keen on. I think that ship sailed. We've been linked with him quite a few times, especially when Slav was in charge because of their Watford days. For me, he's more of the the knockout Bobby Reed, Cavalero kind of role, uh, as opposed to being the out and out focal point of the the attack. You know. I, I don't think he could play through the middle in the, in the same way that uh, Billy Sharp or Andre Gray or Murray could.
1: What about Shea Adams? Would you take him? You know, he was with, um, I think it was Birmingham and he went to Saints and apparently they're trying to give him a loan back to the Championship for the rest of the season. Do you think Shay Adams would be a good, jo- uh, good bet?
0: Yeah, he did well for Birmingham, didn't he? And he's hmm. quite a big lad. So I think uh, the physical side of it, I, th- I think he would match up. Um, uh, it wouldn't be my preference, to be honest. Uh, it would depend what the deal is. If it was a, a short-term loan, then, yeah, I think we've got to take what we can get. But I would prefer Andre Gray. You've got to get on the phone to Tony. That, that for me, is <laughs> the one. That's the one.
1: Fair. And look, this quickly, before we get to the Parker aim, because I know, you know... I'm very fickle with Scott Parker. I don't think I've ever been so fickle with any manager since Scott Parker arrived. And I know what your thoughts are on Scott Parker. But before you we change do the Parker... your mind every single week, I know, I know. It's not, it's not good. I don't, I don't mean to either. It's just uh, sometimes I wish we were just constantly shit and being inconsistent all the time. I can't explain it. It's just I, I know what's happened. You know, it, it, it's just one of those things where I think Scott Parker was the wrong appointment for this type of squad, and it's just frustrating. But you know, he got some things right today, and I just because I think we owe him some praise for actually judging this game correctly. But there was one thing: we went six at the back in the ninetieth minute, and I just want to ask you, Stato, do you think this is a bit much? I mean, we keep thinking, you know, we keep protecting a one-goal lead like it's four-nil. But we had six players at the back; we had four centre-backs at one point. I mean, do you, I mean, there's parking the bus and there's parking the bloody spaceship. What, what are your thoughts about that?
2: Um, it's. It's a recurring trend in the Parker, isn't it? Like in the last five to ten minutes, he likes to bring on an extra defender and go five at the back, and obviously in this instance, going six at the back almost. Um, it is a bit much. Um, it's, it is a bit overkill. Um, and if some, and one day it will probably come back and bite us, and we'll just get done. And everyone will be jumping on Parker for saying he's too defensive. Um, he was being too kind of naive about this all parker has got to have a better plan for when, to kind of, how to see out a match and see out a one 0 win, for example, because this can't really continue.
0: Yeah, I'd like to make a point about that actually. With parking the bus, uh, as you say, in general, it's it's quite a negative thing to do, uh, and I think you invite more pressure onto you. But the injury changed the whole game for me. It's more the height in defence, so. They, they had a big lad up front, Tom Eves, and, and it, was, it was quite inevitable that as they got desperate going into injury time, they were going to be lumping balls into the box. And we'd lost the height of Mitrovic. Obviously, K-Mac hadn't played a full 90 minutes, but he had to stay on because of his height. So for me, it was, it was a, a no-brainer to bring on Mawson and, and just try and see out the game because naturally, you know, Mitrovic uh, for set pieces and stuff would have been an extra body in the box to help defend that. But you, you can't bring on a small player in in, in that kind of um, situation
1: One thing I've got to say about Mawson, actually, he did make an amazing clearance. It wasn't a clearance off the line, but he just got in front of Rodak. And I think, you know, that shot, I think it was Tom Eves taking the shot that he blocked. It was a really, really good piece of defending from Mawson. So it was very good that he came on when he did. So that's kudos to Scott Parker there. And, you know... Honestly, offside saved our bacon in the last minute. That was real squeaky bump time there because he almost conceded. Luckily, offside, so it was fine. Look, Danny, I'll go to you. What was your Scott Parker rating for this game then, Nate?
0: Uh I'll give him a, a, a seven and a half. It wasn't, obviously, a, a, an amazing victory. It was It was just a, a solid 1-0. You know, I, I was quite content with it. You can't go any higher than that because then it disrespects it when we absolutely uh, batter teams, you know. You can't... Seven and a half, I think that's a fair, fair score. It was, I was very happy with what he did and yeah, no complaints from me this week. It was a massive win.
1: Nice one, nice one. But you also said, you know, in order for Scott Parker to start really getting into your good books, we need to take this on into Middlesbrough. So that's the big thing, isn't yeah. it? Especially when the cap is closing.
0: I think that's vital. You know, it's it's one thing to putting one good performance in three, we need to be doing, you know, winning three free on the bounce, five on the bounce, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I will change my my opinion of Scott Parker. I'm not here to, to hate on anyone or to, to wish bad on Fulham. If Fulham are doing well, then, you know, happy days. I've, I've never had the faith in him, and for me, he's got to put that faith into me. Uh, we've been far too inconsistent for anyone to have that faith in his ability. I just you know the performances, the tactics, the individual errors. There's just mm. there's just no continuity with what he's doing. But now with Hector coming in, the injuries, you know, other than Mitrovic starting to clean up, hopefully we'll start seeing a regular eleven and a regular performance.
1: Very good, mate. And Stato, what is your Scott Parker rating, sir?
2: Okay, Um, I would give him an 8 out of 10. I think, like Danny said earlier in the pod, um, a successful season is not built on the 4-0 wins at Millwall. It's built on kind of getting those 1-0 wins away from home. Um, And we weren't seeing that at the start of the season, uh, in part due to Parker's tactics. And I think he's kind of developed his game um, for the benefit of the team. And we're now starting to get results like this you know looking at the form of all the teams around us there's no team that's kind of in form and putting a string of wings together um and really we have a kind of a platform now to kind of do that ourselves and it's all, you know like danny mentioned winning the middlesbrough game is kind of vital for us to do that because obviously this we don't Middlesbrough. this game was kind of irrelevant so yeah i think a solid 8 out of 10 would be right because you got a spot on we got the one nil win and we got the three points
1: all right, and I'm going to join you there. I'm going to, well, actually, no, I'm going to say 7.5 because I'm in between both of you and it's nice nice and light that way. And I'm going to go with one more question to each of you and I'll start with you, Danny. Do you think, hand on heart, we will get top two this season? Yes or no? Tell us.
0: Oh, yeah. the million dollar question. Um... No. I think we'll finish third. Yeah. I think we'll finish third and win the playoffs.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I just... I've just got this feeling we're going to face Brentford and I can just imagine the most awful thing, the most disgusting thing would be losing to Brentford at Wembley for the playoff final and them getting promoted. It would be awful. But, I mean, you don't think top two is, is doable, even with the gap closing at the moment?
0: No, it's definitely doable. But my... Faith in Scott Parker is it's not quite hundred percent yet. Um, I'm certainly not calling him for him to be sacked or anything, and you know, in the next the next um, month or so will will tell because we've got quite a we've got five or six games coming up against teams that we should be beating, uh, and our final running is really difficult. So this is the time when we'll see if we are capable of, of closing that gap. West Brom have only won one in seven and, and Leeds have only won one in six. So I'm not suggesting that they're not catchable. It's just, are we capable of putting in second or top two form for the rest of the season? If Mitrovic is injured, I don't think so. I just don't see it. Um, my fear has always been that the last game at Griffin Park is going to be Fulham against Brentford for the playoffs. You know, a massive occasion and, and one that I don't think the heart would be able to take, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's my theory. I, I can see the top two staying in the top two, and it being between Fulham and Brentford for the playoffs. Oh
1: God, Stato, I need I need your thoughts on this one. Are you are you of the same mind, mate? <laughs>
2: uh, it's it always feels like it's written in the stars, isn't it? That we're going to face Brentford in the playoff final. And, you know, they're moving to a new stadium next year and it's going to coincide with them going to the Premier League and it's all going to be lovely for them and everything. Um, but I think, you know, a few weeks ago in December, if you had asked me if we will get top two, my answer would be no. Uh, Car- um, West Brom and uh, Leeds were running away with it. It looked, it looked like they were just, yeah, they were going to get top two and there would be no one challenging. But the thing with the championship, it's a very unpredictable league, and you know there's no way that a team teams can maintain form all season. Obviously, we did, which was a giant fluke, and I'm not, That's not going to happen again. We need. You know, I don't think anyone believes that it will happen again. Um, and Leeds and West will continue to drop points. Um, it's just whether, like Danny said, we can maintain kind of a promotion type run or form towards the end as we kind of head into the second half of the season I like to think we can but like I said I just don't think there's enough for us to get automatics and I don't know if it's Parker I don't know if it's just the team in general but it feels like we're lacking something um, but yeah these next few weeks will be telling.
1: Quite right and hopefully you know we've got Mitrovic injured. We don't know how long for, but if you are serious about chasing that seven point gap, it's getting smaller. Then we use the window. It's a blessing in disguise. Let's, Go for it. Be ambitious and try and make the top two. But I agree. I think it's going to be Brentford and what we're going to lose. Anyway, so thank you very much. I'll end that there, guys. Thank you very much to my lovely co-hosts for this week. We'll be back in a couple of days where Frenchie and Morgan will be doing a player focus on the legendary Mark Schwarzer, along with a preview of our home game to Borough under the lights with some hopefully Mitro injury news. If you like what you hear, spread the word like margarine and say to yourself, I can't believe it's not professional punditry. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Twitter Facebook, Instagram, and we have a website where you can read and listen to all our exclusive player interviews by Danny Boy himself. Thank you very much.